Filmmaker Commentary, episode 40. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm joined with KCG Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. If you're tuned in, this is Filmmaker Commentary, where we digest Blu-rays, DVDs of your favorite movies, and we glean little gems from that and pass it on to you to help you with your filmmaking techniques. We're coming fresh off of Thanksgiving break. Happy Thanksgiving. Everybody. Um, I probably gained about five pounds. <laughs> well... <laughs> Thankful that it's not 10. Yeah, there you go. All kind of reasons to be thankful. There you go. Today, we are talking about Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante, 1984, which is considered a horror comedy, rated PG. How about that? How about that? And if this is your first time listening to Filmmaker Commentary, we want to let you know that there will be spoilers. spoilers. You've been forewarned. (laughs) And this movie was released June 8th, 1984. And uh, closed up about November 29th, 1984. Interesting fact, it opened up the same weekend as Ghostbusters. Oh. We had a budget of $11 million, and it grossed $153 million domestically. That's a win. That is a win. That's a big, fat win. Did Joe Dante, did he just get the tickets to the kingdom after that, or what? The keys to the kingdom after that? Man, you would have figured that after... Pulling this off, you know, ma- making money through howling, the howling. Right. And then coming into this, that uh, Joe Dante could have had the, the cinema world at his fingertips. But uh, ironically enough, he he did, I mean, Inner Space a oh, couple of years later yeah. with Dennis Quaid and Martin Short. I like that movie. That was yeah, good. that was that was that was a pretty cool, even effects wise. There's yeah. some pretty cool things going on there. But those are kind of two of the, the biggest things that he is known for. I'm trying to look at some other things. He's done some television, but yeah, those seem to be some of his bigger, bigger, bigger hits. So I'm going to read a synopsis from Gremlins. A gadget salesman is looking for a special gift for his son, and he finds one at a store in Chinatown. The shopkeeper is reluctant to sell him the Magua, but sells it to him with the warning to never expose him to bright light, water, or to feed him after midnight. All of this happens, and the result is a gang of gremlins that decide to tear up the town on Christmas Eve. <laughs> gremlins. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, <coughs> gremlins. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, man. What were you, like, how were you exposed to this, and then, like, what were your thoughts after you watched it this time around? So I was first exposed to Gremlins as as a as a child of the eighties. Right. Uh, we watched it at home. Uh, I want to say I probably watched it on HBO. I think the first time. Mm-hmm. Oh, we we may have even rented it. I don't. I, don't, I think. Yeah. Either way, um, I was mm, maybe maybe first second grade when mm-hmm. I watched it. Loved it. This is really cool. This is fun. Uh, it's, it's it's a little scary also at times as well. It's a, it's an exciting film. Once it starts, it just goes and it has a nice amount of intrigue. So I hadn't watched it for, I mean, at least a decade. 
uh, maybe yeah. even longer. And so actually last Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, I was with the family at my mom's in, 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 uh, in San Tone. Mm-hmm. And so my niece and nephew, they hadn't seen it. It was streaming maybe on Netflix or Amazon. And uh, we decided to put it on. And, you know, as a family, we all sat around and watched it. And wow. It had been so long. And I enjoyed the heck out of it, man. I was <laughs> like, it, number one, how funny it was. I'm right. like, this is. Right. The humor in this still works. True. And also the violence as well. I was like, oh, I man, I forgot how violent this thing was. So, you know, being a horror comedy, it it nails both slightly just I think a little bit more on the on the comedy, mm-hmm. but um it still hits. So, so this go around for the, the commentary, I just I just literally just went right into the commentary since yeah. I'd seen it a year ago. I was right. like, still right. fresh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, how about yourself? Kid of the 80s was a fan of the whole Gizmo thing and even when part 2 came out, you know, was kind of waiting on that. I was like, yeah. Oh, the same characters. That's cool. Oh yeah. I forgot how like brutal it was. Like <laughs> Mhm. And I remember like the when it opens up, it's well lit. You're being pushed into this world, you know. You got the crane shot coming in. He's in Chinatown. It's dark. The dark streets. It's like, "Oh man, the CD place where he's going to buy Gizmo." That kind of sets a tone for everything, you know. It does. It, it's but the but him as a character, he's like warm. So, mm-hmm. even though it's supposed to be scary, he it's like everything's everything's gonna be okay. Yeah, there's this op, there's this optimism, right? Kind of guided throughout that mm-hmm. runs within, I guess, kind of his his family, if you will, right? Uh, and that, that his son has has some of as as well that little slice of Americana, mm-hmm. uh, and even the town that they live in. You know, when you when you see the town, it it, it has this feeling of being like a. It feels like a period piece. It's definitely eighties, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's fascinating that it's 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 kind of encapsulated the way that town is set up, where you can watch it kind of whenever and you know that it's true. In this period of time. This time watching it because my wife she's never seen it, so I'm exposed to all these movies. Nice. So like, we watching Gremlin, so she liked. Um, I was probably like I think she's like seven out of ten or something like that. Okay, but I think she was surprised how brutal it was as well. Mm-hmm. Her favorite part, of course, you know, women empowerment was the kitchen scene. You Heck know? yeah, <laughs> that scene is that scene is boss. Well man. done, it's it a well is. done scene. Yes, and gross. Yeah, yeah. As a kid, when I saw it, it was kind of like seeing like you know these like demented Muppets just getting jacked up. Yeah. But now as I watch it, you know, with all the, the practical effects, it's like, oh man, this is really. <laughs> it's really violent and gory. It's like wow. It affected me differently against seeing seeing it mm-hmm. as an adult. I was like, dang. And I'm again cool with Bob. I'm like, wow. This is, it, it, you know, this film along with uh, Indiana Jones are the reasons now why we have the PG-13 rating. Yeah, uh, that, that's some fun facts for you guys. And I was thinking, about, I looked on the back. I was like, what is this rated? Because the way that people are dying, it should be a little bit more bloody. And mm-hmm. I noticed like on the humans, it really wasn't that much blood unless it was like a scratch or something. Right. But when it came to the gremlins, like green blood is just everywhere. Everywhere. I was like, this thing is rated PG. I was like, how? If it ain't red, then, uh, you know, you can get away with a lot. If that, that blood ain't red, you can get away with a whole Man. lot. Man, seriously. But, of course, um, because... You know, you said what PG thirteen? It wasn't. It did know, not exist. It didn't exist. It was PG or R. Yeah, like, and those I, are the those are the two camps. That's why so many PG movies like mm-hmm. Airplane. You see yeah, stuff, I remember you were talking about it, and that, that explains it, right? Yeah, is that, that that rating didn't exist? So honestly, parental guidance it it's fair. Sure, like hey, yeah. parents, <laughs> you should be guiding your kids in terms of what they watch. This is not restricted per se, but, but you might want to, you know. Check it out. Now, I think maybe here's an interesting thought. Maybe today mm-hmm. with 
access to content because back then access to content was very limited. Right. You know, if you wanted to see a movie, you had to go to the theater and see it. And there's going to be months until it, it came available for rent. I mean, stuff took longer to get mm-hmm. to, to video or to the cable services uh, even. So uh, you had time to, to screen and check and, 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 and vet stuff out. I don't know. But now you can you can do it even easier now. So I don't know. I, I wonder if that, that means anything for settings. And we just were... I want to say we're used to more, but I don't know. You watch some of these early 80s films, I'm like, man, they were doing stuff then. It's like, it's pretty out there, like this. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I know I was thrown off. Like, another fun fact is that during their ad campaign, they tricked, it basically tricked people because people thought they were going just to see this family film kind of thing because you see Gizmo. You know. Spielberg's name, yeah. as 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 a, as a producer of Amblin's first film, mm-hmm. and he was all coming off ET, so people yeah. automatically assume family friendly film. You know, boy and his otherworldly creature. You see this cute little creature, even on the DVDs. This is a cute little creature on the front, yeah. And you, but you see the shadow of the gremlin, but that's it. You don't see gremlin like the the gremlin version of him on the art. It's the furry creature yeah. so you think it's like gonna be this fun happy time and there's a lot of 80s movies like that with mm-hmm. like fun little you know again otherworldly creatures that mm-hmm. you know whether it's the never ending story or whether it's max and me i like never ending story oh that's man a, that's a good one that is a good one but yeah there's a lot of 80s stories like that a boy mm-hmm. and, kind of a boy and his dog kind of kind of tales True. um but this is not quite that yeah so and I, I i think that was one thing that i caught on to when i was younger it was like i don't know what term i would have used back then but it was dark but i didn't really understand why mm-hmm. and it's because it was just in this weird space where it wasn't quite a family film but it's also horror too yeah so it was like where but does it's this... also a comedy yeah that's why i, I thought the, i thought it hit that blend perfectly it did as a kid i was rooting more for the gremlins because they were yeah. funny you know they're funny or uh. laughing like and then you see him killing all the adults. Like, this is kind of hilarious. You see the old lady sliding up and popping out the window. Like That scene gets me the- every time, dude. Her launching out the window gets me, man. I didn't, I didn't think it would be as funny as an adult, but I saw it. I was like, ah! And we're oh. laughing all right along with the gremlins. So it's like, as a kid, you know, seeing all the you know all the adults getting jacked up by these puppets is, like, funny. And I think you have to keep in mind, again, at that time, you had the Muppets, that were out. So seeing, mm-hmm. you know, something being puppeted and moving was something that we were used to, that we were used to seeing kind of right. on the, you know, on the regular with the, well, the Muppet show was, or was, yeah, the Muppet show was, was already, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. was going fairly strong. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of pulls a little bit from that. Now watching as an adult, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna side with the adults on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the overall feeling, it felt stylized. It felt, it did feel like a stage. Like it was on, like he mentioned later on, it was on the back lot. Mm-hmm. It felt that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I initially, you know, did you watch it on DVD or Blu-ray? Blu-ray. So I watched it on Blu-ray. Initially, I used to not stick with like, you know, transfers and things like that, you mm-hmm. know. But when I initially saw it, I was like, ah, the transfer. It's a little dusty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, it was like noticeable. I was like, hmm, it's not the best transfer that, that I've right. seen. Because uh, I've seen some films that look fantastic oh, on, yeah. on Blu-ray. This one, you know, looked okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it looked okay. Uh, anyway, that's you know what that is what it is. The screenplay mm-hmm. by Chris Columbus. Apparently, he wrote it when he was coming out of film school, mm-hmm. and the movie is uh, they made quite a few changes mm-hmm. uh, that I find very very interesting. It's the screenplay is much darker 
You know, you and right. I, you and I, we've chatted before about what it would look like to make you know Gremlins kind of a, a modern day take on it, and, right. and kind of going. Oh, maybe actually, maybe that's what my brother in law was talking about. Probably, um, but we've we've talked about just, like I was just going along with it. Yeah, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> actually, my brother in law and I, we've talked about like mm-hmm. what it looked like movies we want to see remade, and we've talked about Gremlins, mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of going darker, and it was interesting to hear in this commentary. It's like, already dark, oh, but the script is even darker man like the the scene that we just talked about the the woman empowerment in the in the original script the mom gets killed and she gets her head gets cut off yeah at least they kept the decapitation but it happened to a gremlin so that's true <laughs> but that's that's very different though for <laughs> it's very different because I, I forgot what happens in the film so when the gremlin was on top i was like man she could probably die in this se- sequence mm-hmm. and that's the feeling that i had because i kind of forgot like what happens in the film yeah uh, so i was like oh, okay she didn't die thank god but she could have. That would have been <laughs> totally different if that had happened. The dog uh, gets killed. That's one thing you don't do, right? You don't kill in the America. Dog. You don't kill you dogs. Don't kill the dog. Yeah, man. Um, but even having the dog hung up on the lights would bother people these days. Oh yeah, yeah. People <laughs> A real would dog flip. People would flip. Um, but, ridiculous. Yeah, man. But that, I'm just but, saying. But then the thing that really tripped me out was the fact that originally. Gizmo, as Gizmo was only in the movie, like the first, you know, first act, maybe maybe half of the second act, that he actually originally becomes Spike that in the original sense, script. Though. That yeah. would make sense, especially when you talk about that key art. You said that you got the shadow behind mm-hmm. him is of, of 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 a gremlin. Yeah, in the film, in the screenplay, excuse me, he actually becomes Spike. But oh. Spielberg, Spielberg's fingerprints are on this film like big time. Some of the suggestions that he gave Joe Dante and the crew really helped direct it and take this film towards its commercial success. Mm-hmm. He made the recommendation after seeing Chris Wallace's um, design for Gizmo. Now, Cutie was said, no, he should stay and be a protagonist in the film. And then even ultimately, Spielberg's one that made the suggestion at the very end of the film for Gizmo to not just be the one that raises the blind, but to actually cut Billy's scene where he raises the other blind that opens up the light that kills Spike. So when we see the film, we just see Gizmo saving yeah, the day. Yeah, Gizmo's the hero. And it cuts out it cuts out Billy, you know, being the hero. He just Billy's getting his butt kicked by Spike. That's true. Um so yeah, it, that that's that would have been vastly it would have definitely been more I think of a definitely of a horror film if <laughs> big time those changes uh yeah. had taken place. That would be a different story. And it's so gross at the end when, when he's melting and he pops out it's bubbling. Like, disgusting to watch this as a child. <laughs> but it man, that stuff it's good. That, and that's the thing. I think the practical effects hold up in in this film. Yeah, um, they 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 totally hold up. True, I agree, big time. We are going to talk about movies watched this past week. Uh, when we get back, we're going to go over the commentary. We thought about the commentary, fun facts, and tips and themes. We'll be right back. All right, movies watched this past week. What have you been up to in your world of movies watching? They can all, and include other media as well. You know, I'm just kind of opening it up, you know. Okay, okay. Man, I've, um, I'm continually on. Again, I got several shows that I watch on the regular. You know, I'm, I'm always on my, uh, on the DC Universe app. I'm watching Titans uh, on Fox. I'm watching X-Men Gifted, which I love. I dig, dig Gifted. Good show. Mm-hmm. Black Lightning as well um, on the CW. On a uh, movie standpoint... I went to the theater to check out Creed 
two. How how was that, how was that film? The the way I can I can best put it um, when on uh, Michael B. Jordan's Twitter feed he had he had you know posted hey how many guys have seen Creed two and you know all kind of people were responding back right. and one guy said I didn't see it he goes I felt it <laughs> oh wow and I was like all right yeah that's <laughs> that's how I felt I I, wow. I I I felt it Creed two Creed two feels like Rocky two three and four kind of like beats mm. from all all three of those films kind of blended together. Right. Um you know Michael B Jordan and Tessa Thompson their chemistry is is, is returns and is just as real as the first one. Yeah. Uh him and and Rocky and just you know its performances the tr- the, the the training, you know, the return of of, of uh, the Dragos, I, I dug it, man. I'm actually tempted to go in, and I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to go and watch it again. Wow, yeah, I got, I got, I got, I got feels for it more so, <laughs> more so than the first Creed. I like the first Creed, wow. but how I felt afterwards with this one, I was like, yeah, man, I go to get in the gym. Man. I need you know, to get in the gym, do some work, work, work the bag. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I dug Creed too. I dug it. I dug it a lot. Man, I like Creed one. That one's a tearjerker. That's got everything in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was concerned. You know, when Creed 2, you know, when I started, I was excited about the trailers, of course. Don't get oh, me wrong. That first trailer is but money. I was concerned when they were saying that they were going to include Drago and that yeah. whole lineage. And then when uh, Ryan Coogler wasn't part of it from a directing writing standpoint, I was really concerned. Yeah, rightfully uh, so. I would, I would be interested in knowing how the business um what happened behind the scenes, business-wise, you know, this alone, like, hey, I, this is mine anyway, so we just move forward. You know, like, I wonder, I would like to know, you know, from a business standpoint, resurging the franchise, you know, Creed did that, and then how they handled it, because he was working on, you know, the Marvel thing, or, mm-hmm. you know, I, that would be interesting just to see, you know, nobody really talks about that, but... I, well, I mean... would it? Because would it be... Who wrote the film? Who wrote this one, do you know? Stallone. Stallone wrote it? Yeah, Stallone how, wrote this one. I would want to. I would be interested if uh, if Ryan Coogler, who you know created you know this version of it, would it be different if he was to write it and directed? It'd be fine either way. But from a writing standpoint, if he decided to, if he wrote himself, would he decide to reach back into the franchise and pull that from it, or what was his initial plans, or was this his, this initial plans anyway? And Stallone decided to write it. It's a good question because I mean, technically, he hadn't done any sequels. Up up to this, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of stuff that he does is very personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Fruitvale, Black Panther, you know, in, in the first Creed. So I don't, uh, you know, he he actually Stephen Cappy Jr. is an old classmate of mm-hmm. of, of Coogler. They, USC, they, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Coogler recommended uh, Cappy for this gig. Got it. And he met Stallone and everything. And um, yeah, that's kind of how he came into. It. I was listening to an interview on, on Collider Live a couple, I guess, a week and a half ago, mm-hmm. uh, of him kind of sharing kind of how he got into the franchise and he grew up a fan and all that kind of stuff. But you can, I feel that when you watch the film, you can see hints of Stallone having written the the script, and it, it's got it, it 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 has it has similar beats of a Rocky film, which I kind of I like. That it kind yep. of bring it brings fan in some of, of that I'm familiarity. I'm a fan of the franchise, right? Oh, yeah, it brings in some of that familiarity familiarity. Uh, but it's still this is still totally a, a, a Adonis Johnson's story, <laughs> right. and him and Tessa. Ah, yeah, it's yeah. You can tell I'm, I'm smiling while right, I talk about. Right, it. I'm like, right, I think I want to think I want to watch this one I'm again. Watch it again. I think I want to watch it again. I wonder if like because uh, I know it took a while to convince Stallone to do it. Like, why you know why do a film? You know, mm-hmm. and then finally getting him on board 
and then seeing how everybody reacted to it. Like, I wonder if he was excited to do part two, you know? Like, I, I mean, he I got just, nominated. He got nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor when when Creed came out. Yeah, and kind I of bet that they, felt good. That felt good. Oh yeah, when were they? Because you know, he won the one for the first Rocky. Best wasn't the best movie, best picture that year. The first movie they had the Steadicam shot in it. But it did. Yeah, it definitely got an Oscar for mm-hmm. sure. But yeah, so Creed two, Dougie. Right, How about right. you? What you what you been on? What have I been on? I watched um, Masterclass. So I'm pretty sure filmmakers, producers out there, y'all are familiar with like the Masterclass. Well, you can learn how to cook, shoot like Stephen Curry. But there's a lot of like um, filmmaking stuff on there. So on the master class, I uh, just finished, not finished, but I'm on like episode 11 or 12 uh, for Werner Herzog. Um, he's a director going through his master class for filmmakers. And he just kind of just opened my mind up just a, l- just a little bit more. He uh, He's famous for that film um, Grizzly Man. <laughs> Grizzly Man. It's a documentary. Oh, God. Um, type that YouTube, that Grizzly Man. Um, that one's um, n- not funny, but funny. It's about, uh, um, what would you call those people that um, like hug the trees, save the forest kind of people, save the polar the bears? I guess, but like the extreme version of that. The tree huggers? So this guy was just like, just like all about saving grizzly bears. So much uh, so that he went out to go live and out and be with in the grizzly. wilderness, huh? Yeah, in the wilderness and conservationists. I don't know what to call him, but he he got it was so bad that it kind of teetered on the line of like he might have been a little bit psychotic as far as like how he was treating with these. He's I'm, I would die for these grizzly bears. I would die for these grizzly. He's saying this on camera stuff like that. Wow. So spoiler alert. Um, but if you see the YouTube trailer, it tells you. Ironically, he gets killed by a grizzly bear. Man, and so um, that's rough. Yeah, that one was. Um, a lot of people talk about that documentary. That was that was, uh, that was like a hit. Um, but at any rate, he um, got me like on wanting to read more novels. You know, I used to be a big reader when I was like in high school, junior high, especially like when it comes to novels and things like that. Um, since then, most of my reading material has been like self-help, business books, and filmmaking books. That's like my diet of books. Um, but he's got me. I went out and bought a book called Pick Me by Chuck I hope I'm saying his name right. Chuck Polinick. And that's the guy that wrote Fight Club. Mm. Um, his novels are, man, out of this world. So I'm in the process of reading that. And the reason he tells people to read, you know, make sure that you're a voracious reader because it it takes it's a different language and it takes you into another world that you can experience these different words and everything. And it gives you just more of an edge as a storyteller when you're reading a bunch of like novels and things like that and having a daily diet of that. And he says some of the best filmmakers are, are voracious readers so i was like all right i'll take that as a let me go get a book so that's a novel that i'm working on and and also uh what's the other one there's a horror screenwriting book it's called the nature of fear by devin watson that one's been a big help especially since we've been listening to uh these commentaries with francis coppola nice (laughs) nailed it and him being like a voracious reader you know and like how much research that he does and it's in his bibles when he's like you know what warner's on to something because like the stuff that we like these guys are on it you know they're big researchers and um the author of this book this horror book on screenwriting you know we're talking about these commentary stuff there's like i'm i'm feeling myself liking horror a lot more as an adult Uh, Just because you get to explore fears and things and you get to kind of exercise those demons in a way and really talk about it using horror as like the 
palette to kind of paint that on um which you can't really you can't really explore in other genres it's a horror specific thing about addressing fears and all that stuff that's a that's a good point oh all right there's a show called tales from the tour bus it's on cinemax created by mike judge really a, a beavis and butthead fame and um over the like what's the other king of the hill king of the hill i was gonna say over the hills i know it's not right king of the hill so he's basically uh it's like a like documentary style like episodic kind of like 30 for 30 and like rick james for example doing like interviewing all the people there in his camp when they was on tour and everything that he was going through so he interviews these people and they're all animated so it's like imagine like the like an interviewee but then that version of that person being animated and then all the crazy stuff they're talking about is an animation how long has this series been out i would say maybe it's on its second season so on the wwe network they they had a because they had original content they would, that they do on there as well. Mm-hmm. And they literally had a show like that. Mm-hmm. But, they, but, but it was short, condensed, like Tales from the Road or something like that. Really? And it would be just like small little, like maybe like 15, if even that, like one episode would be like 15 minutes. and would have maybe like three or four stories mm-hmm. of crazy things wrestlers experience while either traveling to another town or flying on a, on a jet. Like there was one about, you know, with Ric Flair and him being on a private jet and plane and, and walking out in just his robe and kind of crazy stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. But it was all animated. So yeah. you saying that made, made me think of that. I'm like, I wonder which came first, that's all. I don't know. But I know it's funny. Mm. And um, <laughs> and Mike Judge sounds like Butthead even more during the narration. It's wow. hilarious because he opens up, you know, the whole show about who they're going to be talking about. And then him, just his regular talking voice, he sounds like Butthead from Beavis and Butthead fame. It's like, it's just, his voice is just funny. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would actually recommend. I only watched two episodes of that, Rick James and uh, George Clinton. Um, the rest are some more artists, like, in country and things like that. But um, those popped out to me. I was like, I got to check this out. Okay, okay. One last thing I'll mention. I've been, you mentioned other mediums, like reading. Mm-hmm. So, this this past several days, I've been reading, I've been reading quite a few comic books and, and graphic yeah. novels. Been, I've been reading up on my, uh, I've been on a, uh, I was on an X-Force kick, like, early... Like mid two thousands, X Force kick where um, basically Cyclops, leader of the X Men, had about three members of the team kind of separate and become like this co op task force to not be good guys, but literally to kill people, uh. like to kill threats to the mutant race, like mm. who, people who were endangering the species. Is like all right, Wolverine, X twenty three, Warpath, this is your mission. You know, you're you're a covert. Like nobody else can know about this. That's been a cool read. And then I, I, I read, uh, recently last night, I read a uh, uh, X-Men Gold Annual Number 1, which was a throwback. It had a little reunion. It was like a reunion kind of issue that brought together this team called Excalibur, which is Nightcrawler, Captain Britain, Kenny Pride, Megan, and Phoenix. It was one of the funnest comic books that I've read in in a while. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like when you're done, you kind of just smile because it, it just brought together all the right feelings and and emotions and yeah it was just really in a real enjoyable read like two of the main characters they had just they had gotten married over the course of time and they had just had a kid which mm-hmm. brought the other three x-men back to come and visit them and reform the team and but the baby is like three months old but like already talking and so literally like when That's like crazy oh it, it's a trip because they're like they show up and like you don't know it but they're like the baby's like um 
dad, who are these people? Like, you see this, this voice, you know, bubble come from the crib. You know, I'm like, you're like, what? And like, and so literally she's like, dad, hand me over to, to Kurt, you know, Kurt, you know, Nightcrawler. He's like, you look different. Why do you look different? And like Nightcrawler's having this conversation with this, with this, you know, three month little old girl. What? And well, they're having this conversation and she's asking like these big questions and he's like so patient. He's answering these questions and it's it's a lovely, it's a lovely, lovely read. But yeah, what is that again? That was X Force. Uh, this so this this was X Men X Men Gold Annual Number One. Okay, it was a what year? Which one? When just come out? Uh, this would have been either like last year or, okay. or yeah, like last. I'm gonna say last year because it was the first annual. Because the second annual should be coming up. So let's say within the last twelve months, I think is when it when it came out. But man. It was a lovely read. And plus, seeing Excalibur reunite for one issue that was that was a nice feel. That was a <laughs> a fun comic back then. So anyway, yeah, it's one that out there. All right, everybody, we're gonna jump back into the show. All right, we're back. Uh, we're talking Gremlins from 1984 by Joe Dante, a very successful horror comedy film. Very successful. <laughs> <laughs> So let's introduce some themes. What are some themes from this film? I only got one, and that's only because I think it was Joe Dante that said something, and he was just talking about entropy and how everything falls apart eventually. Yep, same one. That's I all I got. Yeah, that that's that one, and I, and I put on the theme of just things being. It's not. It's not technically really a theme, but just how things are stylized. The town itself is very stylized and specific in how it looks and, and so are the, the gremlins. And even as, as they progress, they begin to take on traits mm-hmm. of humans. Some of some of the worst some of the worst the uh, worst traits. Uh, <laughs> which is fascinating to see. Which again kind of ties back into the entropy of how it ultimately everything kind of falls apart. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of get a feel that that gizmo like you could almost do a Gremlins prequel because mm-hmm. if 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 Gizmo is the only one, I, I wonder. Like I, I wonder how old Gizmo is and how many times this has happened before. Because yeah. how would they know? How would people know these rules unless it's happened before? True. And how often do they like kill? How many others have been killed off? Other Gremlins have been killed off to where you only have this one that you know hasn't himself turned into a Gremlin. You know, the uh, ugly version of a Grimlin. He's still a Mogwai. Or did he sprout from somebody else? I don't know. But when you see him, it's like almost like he knows. Cause even when like uh, when he's offered the piece of chicken, you know, when the he's other like, ones are eating, he's like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like, no, nah, I know how this goes. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I was tricked uh, during the film part. You know, it said 11.45 or 11.30, whatever it said, like 11.15. It wasn't oh, midnight. Yeah, because the, yeah, the clock had... And then so... Like how they position, they compose it so that you can see the clock. So we know they told us the rules. We know the rules. Do they know the rules? So we're with the people in the film. But then we cut to the scientists at the school. It's like two o'clock, right? We look on the clock. It's like oh, it's two o'clock. He doesn't know the rules. I don't think he told them really. Did he tell them, or was did he know the rules? He would have because the first thing he uh-huh. would have done is. He would have laid out the rules. They were very big on sharing the rules because right. he, he put the water on him specifically. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I don't I don't remember him oh, giving yeah. him uh, part one, two, three. Because it was very important. That's uh, that's huge. That's yeah. huge to not tell that guy. Because, because I mean, the way that thing got a hold of the sandwich, it was just sitting there. It was just chilling. And he kind of just reached his hand out and got, mm-hmm, pulled it in. And he's, he seemed like he would be a by-the-rule kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, so. for sure. It was clearly on the clock. It said two in the morning or whatever it was. But then when they cut back to being at the home, it said like 11-something. I said, wait, the, the, the clocks that's are wrong. Mm-hmm. 
So me and Ashanti was like, "What? What's going on there?" Well, his clock got um, reset. Yeah, and they showed us like later on after the transformation. After the transformation, of course, he discovers that the wire was cut. The wire was cut. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But before that, you saw like like, hey, something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> he knew so he's like, I got an internal clock. Yeah, he knew like, better. Internally, he knew like. Nah, but people often throw out the question also. Well, you know, well, hey, it's it's midnight somewhere. So yeah. kind of like, how does how does that ooh, how does that work? Ooh. You know, what clock is he on? In the con- concept and construct of time, it's relative. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's 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 fascinating. So I that's wonder, too is, deep. That's yeah, too I wonder deep. if it's a, is, is it a sundown kind of thing because they stay they seem obviously they're sensitive to light. You know, light literally can kill them. Uh, see, here's another thing I wonder. So when Gizmo sees light, you know, it makes him kind of freak out and his eyes go crazy or whatever. But when the gremlin form gets hit with the light, it like destroys them. But that was just a flat, like a, a quick flash. So like the flash, because she used the flash on the gremlin. They're like, that's you true. Know, you know, so they'd like just all trip out. But we didn't see Gizmo get exposed to sunlight. Yeah, I guess not. Not direct sunlight. Yeah. Hence why I keep him in a, in a little dark box. So that's almost like some like vampire. You can tell like, yeah. a little bit from vampire right. lore. Um, He's in the backpack like, oh, keep me covered. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some sunscreen. So gross. But yeah, that's, I had the same thing, man. That okay. was that was. And how they were able to juxtapose that. So you have the father who was an inventor. All his stuff goes wrong. Falls like, apart. Like early on. Like nothing works. How are you making money? I mean, how many lawsuits? Yeah, man. <laughs> and, and why is your wife so patient with your crap that that literally jacks up the house? Real like, time. you got a, a freaking orange juice maker that literally shoots out. And everybody's trying. Oh. Like, Let me try it again. Let me try the juice. Sludge comes you out. You jacked up coffee. Shout out or- to Corey Feldman, who makes his appearance, you know. And you know you can just buy a carton. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, Corey was on it, man. That scene when he's first interacting with Gizmo and kind of just treating yeah. him like a, like a pet, like that's a, that's a super cute scene. Like he was just like that's like exactly how thing. a kid would act, yeah, straight up for real. And the, how they edit it, like you couldn't tell that. I mean, you could tell they're puppets, but the way they they chose to edit it out to where it didn't look weird. Yeah, just kind of a callback to you know the different films that we have reviewed and looked at commentaries for special effects coordinator. Chris Wallace, our man Chris Wallace, of course, also known for uh, his uh, Academy Award winning work <laughs> on The Fly. Hello, people. And of course, you his, know what? his directing on You're, The Fly, too. That's why it's so gross. That's why this stuff looks so gross when he came out of it. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, popping out and all that stuff at the end. That's yeah. It all goes together. Yeah, that style, man. That so. style. Because The Fly was on 86. Don't give me the line. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say The Fly is like 86. Go, to, go back to one of the previous episodes of The Fly. I'm quite, quite positive The Fly is 86. But but yeah, man. But it's Wayless, man. Him and his production company. Man. Um, and this, this one, I mean, this this put him through the paces, man. He was, he, he constantly talks about in the commentary just how mm-hmm. under the gun he was. And how much they kind of <laughs> kind of hated Gizmo. They kind of <laughs> hated Working with Gizmo, like they kind of had a list, like towards the end of what are things that we could do to Gizmo. So those scenes where those gremlins are torturing Gizmo, yeah, like the crew kind of <laughs> enjoyed that because it was a kind of a pain. Uh, I thought it was super fascinating though to hear that when you see those close ups of Gizmo's face, mm-hmm. as that's actually a really large head, like yeah. that they that they made to to get those expressions and all the different animatronics and, and and movements. I'm like, 
Oh wow, that's some that's some Hollywood magic right there. And he looks bigger, but I didn't know why. Because mm. you can see some of that stuff, like in Chucky, they do that stuff, and then also in um, the Francis Coppola thing, Coppola, and uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, they had the uh, big book that you see the train in the background, but it's a the small little miniature train, and they had like mm-hmm. a big old book in the front in the foreground. You gotta know what you're doing when you're doing stuff like that. Going into commentary, since we're talking about commentary. Which version did you listen to? There's I actually listened to both versions <laughs> of the commentary. Overachiever. I did the first one early in the morning. So I knocked that one out and then I had a little more time. And so while I was working on some other stuff, I kind of just put it, put the second one on in the background with the, uh, with the actors, um, which okay. I don't think you're missing much. If you didn't listen to the mm-hmm. one with the actors, it was, it was okay. Howie, Howie Mandel had, uh, who, who voiced Gizmo. Yeah. He had a couple of funny, a couple of funny cracks, mm-hmm. uh, but, I mean, man, there's some actors talking about some specific experiences that they had on set and kind of how they got cast. But the majority of those details, a lot of it's covered in the first commentary. So, really? yeah, so okay. you're not you're not you're not missing much. Even though Joe Dante's on both, mm-hmm. um, you're you're fine if you if you didn't catch the second one. Mm, okay, uh, yeah, I was I was wondering how that one will come off because I looked at him, I was like, okay, I got to make a choice here because I watched the film first mm-hmm. and then I went into the commentary right after it. So I was like, let me go ahead and look at the producer one. Yeah, you chose the right one. That okay. one, that that one is 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 for for this purpose was is the better one to to go with. And on that one, you have Joe Dante, you have producer Michael Fennell, and special effects supervisor Chris Wayless. What are some fun facts about this film? Again, I mentioned before that mm-hmm. in the original screenplay that again Gizmo originally becomes Stripe. Yeah. Uh, in the original screenplay, they shared that, and Spielberg suggested that he stay. Um, again, mentioned some of the the uh, grisly deaths that took place within within the screenplay. Mm-hmm. You know, the mom dying, the dog dying. Um, this is Ambient Entertainment's first first film, uh, which was obviously a, a big deal. Um, you know. Gremlins, as far as their origin here in America, our kind of our first or most familiar ex- exposure we would have had to them before this film was actually a Bugs Bunny cartoon mm. uh, by Warner Brothers that dealt with Gremlins. One of the things that Joe Dante likes to do, and again, we saw this a lot in The Howling, is to constantly have um, films, movies, and cartoons right. that are either working as commentary or just referential to the subject matter or even foreboding or foretelling of yeah. things that are going to take place. We saw it again all throughout the howling. This, this True. film's no different. There's a yeah. lot of that. And he loves to pay homage to, to older actors, uh, mm-hmm. into the Hollywood and things that came before. He's, he's big in that way, big on those things. I like that. They said at one point, uh, in kind of summarizing Grimmins, it's like the wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful life meets the birds. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's really good. That's a that's a really good uh, summation. Just to add to that, I like how the characters we see them watching TV, and yeah. it, it tells you a little bit about their character. The mom's watching It's a Wonderful Life. The character that the World War Two vet, what is he watching? It's like Santa Claus he, watching some show with Santa Claus. Something's going wrong with Santa Claus. I think he's on the roof or something. Yeah, he's getting attacked by. Well, no, he actually. I'm thinking later on. There's yeah, a, the, the the a Santa does get attacked. Yeah. Um. Right. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's watching something. Yeah, something goes wrong. He's slide off a roof or something like that. Or yeah, something roof. something weird was going on. And then later on, I think was it Corey Feldman, his character, or one of the characters, they're watching some science fiction show, and it's kind of showing the little the little things popping out of the yeah, eggs or yeah. whatever. So I was like, okay, that may be like an I don't know if I was invasion the body snatchers or something. Mm-hmm. Or, 
Yeah, but again, constantly just references. Yeah, and, man. And, 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 and it can get expensive these days, but that was that was cool. He was able to do that. Yeah, and that's kind of part of it. So I'd be interested in seeing, like, say, if we went back and watched Piranha. I wonder if he, it, mm-hmm. I wonder if he does that in Piranha. If he makes reference a reference to Jaws in Piranha, because Spielberg right. Spielberg saw Piranha because Warner Brothers wanted to, wanted to sue him. They wanted to sue um, Soderbergh, right? That would probably be Cronenberg. The yeah. one that did. Yeah, it's Cronenberg. Are you Cronenberg. saying David Cronenberg? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. They wanted to sue, but then what Spielberg saw, he's like, no, it's, it's fine. Even though it was, you know, it was a knock, clear knockoff of Jaws. But I'm curious if in that film, if there are little like film references to, to other stuff. Um, nonetheless, it's a kind of a side thing. It's interesting that the stage itself, most of the, say the shot on was raised like several feet off the ground so mm-hmm. people could hide underneath to kind of get these cables in to work these <laughs> work these puppet the dog hmm. his performance in this movie is amazing yeah like they, they comment on that and like when you see different things that he does like at the right time like the fact that he was kind of scared of the gremlins yeah uh, at the same time and the one thing they did mention the actor's commentary mm-hmm. was that the dog kind of wanted to eat gizmo at times, and they, <laughs> they had to kind of find ways to hold him back. You can kind of see that when he's first, when the dog is first introduced to Gizmo, he's like licking his ear. Mm-hmm. I think he actually bit. He actually <laughs> he like bit a part of Gizmo at one point, and they yeah. had to like kind of fix it. Uh, even and there's an opening scene mm-hmm. uh, where he's where, where Billy is kind of first introduced as kind of a kind of establishing shot, and like he's he's coming down the the street. The dog like wasn't like really following him. Mm-hmm. And so they used a, a special piece of, 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 of a fishing line. I forget what they, they, they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and literally, like he, Billy has that attached to him, and it, it's like pulling the dog along. But you can't you can't see it all. It works. It works yeah. perfectly. Monochromatic. Yes, yes, yes. A lot of the puppeteers who actually designed the puppets actually worked the puppets, so they were very familiar with nah, them. Okay. Obviously, our man Dick Miller uh, making another appearance in the Joe Dante film. It's yeah. like, you know, like the peanut butter and jelly. Vet. Yeah. yeah, like <laughs> peanut butter and jelly, man. They go hand in hand. True. Uh, you mentioned earlier the PG-13 rating was introduced because of this film in Indiana Jones. I thought one interesting fun fact was the the scene with Phoebe Cates talking about why she doesn't celebrate Christmas. How that like was like controversial for the studio how they desperately wanted to cut that scene they even yeah. tried to go behind their back and talk with Spielberg and get him to convince him but Spielberg mm-hmm. talked with Joe and Joe was like no I think this should stay it's only 55 seconds and yada 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 and even afterwards they were trying to even get it cut out in the distribution phase but uh, he just kind of stuck to his guns and kept with it sometimes Big you gotta time. do that uh, yeah, I think that was a huge thing. And then one last fun fact I have is that at the very end, after all the cast and everything, they're watching the news. Mm-hmm. You got Jim McCrawl uh, for Channel Six, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, it is Channel reports, Six. <laughs> same dude from The Howling. Ha! It's the same, same, same guy. Yeah. Guys playing the same character. That's beautiful. The same news. Station. I like it. So. It's like everything like grounded in like its own weird world. Well, there's con- man, there are so many Easter eggs mm-hmm. in this film. There's reference multiple references to ET. Mm-hmm. There's multiple references to other Spielberg movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even within the theater there was a Howling poster in there That's as right. well. They they talked about. I'm like this is it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's very kind of meta. What fun facts do you have, Reginald? Uh, they were in seven months of pre-production. Pre-production, and they needed that. Especially for Chris Wayless to get started on these gremlins <laughs> to get started. So, and that sh- that shows up later. You know, if if the gremlin, if he would have been on production when they had all the money, then uh, God only knows what they would have looked like. Also, this was <laughs> they shot this during the summertime. <laughs> so they're in a back lot in California, 
they had to be reminded that it's hey, it's winter. It's winter. So the, I forgot who they said was saying it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they had somebody always saying that to remind them because I felt I thought like you know they're a little comfortable walking around. They're like a little too you know they're not like in inwards. You tend to be inwards when it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. The girl will be a little bit closer to the guy. Like hey, or when she comes out the store, he has his big jacket on, but she has like this small little thin cardigan, and sure. you're like hmm. Well, well, it wasn't like wintry blowing weather like it wasn't like like hard snowing and when you live in cold weather like that you begin to adapt begin to adapt yeah and so if the wind is not blowing on a, on a, on a day where there's snow on the ground it might be in the 40s or 50s but if you got your whatever whatever on you're like oh okay he no but he has deal. this big old jacket on that's true she comes out in the cardigan she's little like she has this cardigan on but the way that her body like the body um language language yeah the body language doesn't register as cold mm. But, okay. but you don't pick it up. It's a fantasy world, so it doesn't matter. But there's a lot of fake snow they got. <laughs> a lot of fake yes. snow. Yes. I was I was surprised to learn that, oh, this is not real snow. That's I wonder how much this stuff costs. It it man, they pulled it off. How do you clean that up? Is it like a giant vacuum that just so what I, suck it all up? I don't know that aspect of it, but I know he said it was it was like a mixture. It was a mixture of some of this fake snow and then on top of the fake snow. They blew out some actual snow because you know you got the machines that can actually create the snow, mm. and they layer that on top. So I don't know how the fake snow—if it's like just like a carpet, just kind of like rolled out—they <laughs> just roll it out, and it's like some kind of chemical. I don't know. Tips for filmmakers out there. I only got a few of these. Um, in the in the commentary that I that I was listening to, it was helpful, but it seemed like they were more reminiscing than anything. It wasn't like, hey, you need to do this, this, and that. Um, it was just, uh, it would seem like they were just having good times, you know, as they were explaining it. But especially with Chris, you can tell that he was just like. <laughs> Reliving a war story? Man. Like, he was like, you, know, you kind of feel for some of these people the way they were explaining it. Uh, but even uh, Joe Dante was like, you know what? I can't knock this picture. Just one of the few pictures I still get a check from. <laughs> yeah, he did say that. <laughs> he did say that. Um, so what are some of the tips you have, Reginald? Some of the tips. Uh, convince the studio to give you development money. While this this was like a green light, he called it a blinking green light. Because even though it was a green light, they didn't know when it was going to actually get momentum and they were going to get funded and it was rocking and rolling. Especially when you think of the fact that it was uh, the screenplay was so horrific at the very beginning before they made the changes. It kind of makes sense. Um but they were able to can to get Chris Wayless hired on early so he can begin creating the gremlin monsters. And so they, they got some development money for that. So if your film is a film that requires, you know, monsters, creations, and somebody to get on early on board, um, convince the studio while they're in the process of greenlighting your film to at least begin developing your film. Also, keep an eye out for merchandising opportunities for your film. It's another stream of income, and apparently this was a hit as well. Mm-hmm. Huge. Once they got the look at uh, at Gizmo, they uh, they knew they had something on their on their hands. And even again, there's there's something going on with Gremlins now. Again, I, I go into for my 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 daytime gig. I go into mm-hmm. schools and I see I see I see kids wearing Gremlins shirts. Really? Yeah, I, I've seen I've seen it more frequently of late. I wonder uh, why. 
I don't know, man. It's just, uh, it's just like kind of that resurgence kind mm-hmm. of stuff where they, they put stuff out in the stores and it's it's retro. Yeah. And uh, but I've seen yeah the white I've seen again it's the it's the cover um is that key art <laughs> with Gizmo there boom right there Gremlins and, and it's Gizmo. Um yeah. Also grab the attention of the financier in order to get him or her to sign off. So they were having issues with getting Steven Spielberg to sign off on how the Gizmo character looked. You know you need as it. Uh, certain approvals is like, a, you know, there's an order for all this to happen. And so the person that's responsible for this has to sign off on it as an approval. And so they were waiting on Steven Spielberg's approval. And so what they did is they uh, made Gizmo the same color as his Cocker Spaniel. Yeah, that was smart. <laughs> that was really smart. He signed off on it. It worked because they had to get this thing rocking and rolling. So figure out a way to grab that attention. Um, also what you were alluding to earlier, um, stick to your guns when you feel is important. Like don't just cause a big uproar just to be doing it, just to get your way. Mm-hmm. But, um, when you feel like some part, choose your battles and stick to your guns when you feel is important. So like you were saying, the scene, the scene where, um, what's the character? Phoebe Bill Cates. What, what was her character's name? Billy. Cause you got Billy and the girl that he had a crush on that he, he asked for a date. He eventually asked for a date. So you're kind of rooting for Billy. Like, all right. You know, he's stepping up to the plate. Her name is Kate. Kate. Kate Beringer. So Kate, she explains why she doesn't like Christmas because you discover that she doesn't really care for Christmas so much. And then he's like, well, you know, what's, you know, what's, he's trying to figure out why she doesn't, but she doesn't talk about it. And instead of talking about it, he asked her out for a date. So change, switch things up a little bit. But later on, towards the end of the film, you figure out that her father passed away during Christmas and that's how she discovered that Santa Claus isn't real. Mm. And so she doesn't like Christmas. I was like, okay, that's fair. Um, but the way that she um, played it, they wanted that part cut out of the film. Oh man. Yeah. So much so that they were like willing to go behind Joe Dante's back and, t- and tell Steven Spielberg, but Joe Dante had final cut. And so that Steven Spielberg. So yeah. it doesn't like, what are you going to do? So Steven's like, it's your film. Even though Steven Spielberg didn't care for that, shot either for that right, particular right. sequence because it, it it is kind of dark but i mean i appreciated it being in there yeah and it gets closer to again a part of, it's the only real dramatic scene that she even has in the whole film right she really doesn't say much honestly <laughs> in the whole film i remember like, going watching yeah, like, that's right she doesn't have a lot of lines you know she pops mm-hmm. up here and there so mm-hmm. that gives her it gives her something and you need closure to why she doesn't like christmas because she says it but we don't know why so we're kind of wondering, but you get thrown off because of the gremlins and all that stuff. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they move into your area and they just take over. Throw things off. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> next thing you know, they're everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> take it over. You will not replace them. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So to me, I'm glad, you know, it's one of those things that. You have questions for, I think as a, as an audience member, I don't. We'll just kind of let it slide, but it would be one of those things that there was no closure to. That was cool. They was able to wrap that up. But one I got was a cast a wide net, yeah. uh, as in your casting. So they originally went through the process of casting in L.A., didn't find the right fit, so they started casting in New York, and that's where they they got a hold of of, of Zach. Um, as well as uh, Phoebe Cates, mm-hmm. uh, they were you know, New York-based actors. Couple of that uh, hide the cables, so they mm-hmm. went through a, a extensive means 
and all kinds of tricks to to make sure that their puppeteers and those that were, they had working the gremlins were were hidden and and mm-hmm. and, and and well hidden and just and making sure that the all the setups could accommodate that and, and made time to be able to shoot those things and make adjustments on the fly. Also, sometimes changing the looks of your, your, your monsters, if you will, that you're using mm-hmm. uh, can can help maybe endear them to your audience or make them more interesting. Uh, so as they got further into shooting, they began to dress up the gremlins. Uh, yeah. And when you when you think about the, the film, you know, yeah, you can see these gremlins, you know, wearing glasses. A little trans uh, gremlin. Yeah, I'm like, where did you find these clothes? They they raid like they raid the Montgomery Wards, and you've got clothing out of the kids section. I don't know, but it's it's funny though. It's funny when you when They're you see Snow them. White and the Seven Dwarves. And what are the Gremlins doing? They're watching Snow White, and they love it. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow. Uh, I also said, you know, use camera tricks as needed. So speaking mm-hmm. of them, when they're at the theater and they're watching the film. And they've got, you know, these rows of gremlins, but right. they, they shot them in sections and this used the optical effect to make it look like they were filling up the theater. I thought that was uh, fascinating. And even different parts of the film, they use all kinds of techniques. Sometimes they're using slow motion. Sometimes they, they used reverse shots. Sometimes they sure. used mirroring shots. There was one scene where Phoebe's Kate's scar was on the wrong side of her face, so they kind of just, you know, f- flipped the shot uh, to, to make that correction. And I think having a, a a solid producer. I mean, Spielberg really spearheaded this film. Sure. Really got from the budget that they needed. And again, he made some very key suggestions that put this film in the place of commercial success. Again, if Gizmo had become Stripe, this would not... I don't think this film would have the same success that uh, that it ultimately experienced. Or merchandising opportunities. There you go. Uh, if Gizmo had become the Stripe. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a very, very different film. That would have been very, very, very much so more horror than comedy. Overall, good. I like the film. It could have been easily like twenty, thirty million dollars if they had a bunch of people that were famous, popular people on the come up at that time. But like a Tom Cruise, I forgot how old Tom Cruise would have been in '84, but he did Risky Business. I forgot what year that was, but it was in the '80s, right? Mm, oh yeah. They could have very easily put Tom Cruise right there and some other lady that's on the come up. That would have been like twenty something million dollars. I, I think Kevin Costner even he had uh, he wasn't known then, but mm-hmm. he actually I think auditioned for the role, really? for the role as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's uh, Zach mentioned that in the in the actors commentary. And uh, one mention uh, Howie Mandel mentioned that yeah, again this is his first voice acting role. Uh, but actually, Frank Welker is mm-hmm. the one who told him about the role. So while Howie Mandel voices Gizmo and a few others, Frank Welker voices all the other Gremlins. For those not oh, familiar wow. with Frank Welker, he <laughs> is like voice over royalty. This guy, wow. he's he voiced Cujo, you know, in that film. He's the voice, the original voice of Megatron and Soundwave and so many characters cartooned and so much he's i think he wants to say he's like the maybe like the highest grossing actor i mean like you take all his films he's done voices for like just mm-hmm. like the ultimate gross like one of the highest like of all time uh, that his films is gross because he's he's voiced so much and he does he, dude is crazy but he's like very introverted like he he's, he doesn't go to like to the cons and stuff like that he's very introverted but yeah, but he got he got Howie Mandel into voice acting because after wow. this he went and did Bobby's World, the cartoon Bobby's That's World. That's right, I forgot about Howie Howie Mandel. Yeah, and what did he do? There's something else that he that he did, but this was his mm-hmm. his 
four-way into voiceover because of uh, Frank Welker. There was a, um, talking about voice acting, the Kevin Smith on... Fat Man Beyond. Fat Man Beyond, yeah, because they changed the name. Before the Stan Lee episode, they had a lady who's from Canada. She's Tara a, Strong. You know about it. Oh, not yeah, Tara Strong, man. I've actually yeah. got a chance to meet her at a con. She is... She is incredible. There's so many voices, but she can also sing. She does some oh on-camera work. God. She's raving from Teen Titans. Yeah, she is multiple characters on uh, Drawn Together. She's Ben Ten, the mm-hmm. you know the the young Ben Ten. Uh, she's been Harley Quinn multiple yeah. times. Yeah, Tara Tara Strong is the truth. Man. She's the absolute. Have you listened truth. to the episode when she was on there? I saw the image on YouTube, but I haven't. I haven't watched it yet. But Great I've, episode, and she I've, just busts out like while she's talking, just bust out in the character and like kind of tripped everybody out because it's like you're talking to her and just randomly she pulls up a voice. It could be any voice that's in her repertoire. Yeah, I tell you one of the, one of the most fun things to do is to like have any cast from like a, a show whether it's the cast of Futurama whether it's the cast of, of the Justice League cartoon and and watch them at like a live convention reading reading you know something like from Star Wars or or, 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 or from, from something yeah from some kind of script or book or whatever but as characters from the show that they do that's some of the funniest stuff that, that you can Man. see they just do it in character like some people they, they yeah it's that's so I'm more interested, like I'm now I'm because I was telling you about I'm yeah I want to get into animation things like that and I'm interested in a lot of behind the scenes because I don't want to be like say I'm directing it or producing it or whatever mm-hmm. you want to know what's up you know and she was saying that like there's like new directors that are directing animation that don't know how to talk to the voice actors yeah you know it's giving us like this bland stuff and it like they it's not real direction yeah and, and she kind of breaks it down a little bit I was like. That's, and she enjoys. I think it's another woman director, or I can't remember who Andrea it was. Andrea Romano. She that, was the she was the queen, and she's been around for like the longest, right? Oh yeah, Andrea Romano. She recently she recently retired, uh-huh. but she was the one when you would watch almost gosh any major animated like kind of like non Disney feature any any major television show. Andrea Romano. She was the one who was there directing the actors like Man. she was she was bought batman the animated series all the batman animated series the superman justice league a lot of stuff on cartoon network andrea she was she was the one and she knew her people who were go-to people work she was yeah andrea was amazing amazing that's crazy so yeah. like kevin smith like gives her some direction on like these two lines like you're a little boy who's hurt and disappointed about something she reads a line and then he gives just a little tweak on uh, direction with the same line. He's like, oh, my God, it is different. <laughs> like, just like just changing, like, the tone and, like, man, it's, she, she's a true professional. It's, it's, the, it's the nuance. And what, you yeah. know, any of you aspiring voice actors out there, it's not about making a funny voice. Right. It's about acting. And any any voice actor will tell you it's acting. They are giving nuanced performances, and especially mm-hmm. we talk about animation where – as an animator, you're often going to animate to that voice actor's performance. Right, because it would be so, expensive to do it the other way. <laughs> exactly. So the, so the better direction that they get, the more nuanced the performance they can give when they deliver those lines, the more the animator has to work with as far as the range of expressions and emotions and effect mm-hmm. that they can give. That direction is is key. And there's some, again, you know, if you want to know about some you know good podcasts to check out for voice acting, Rob Paulson's Talking Tunes. Mm-hmm. Like he has a whole litany because he he's he's been in the industry. I mean, he's he's the original voice of Raphael. Mm-hmm. He is uh, he's Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. He is 
he was Donatello on the new Ninja Turtles. He was just uh, Mr. Opportunity on the Honda commercials back in the day. Like just, he's done so many voices Uh, and I'm even, I'm even missing a couple of his, of his big ones, but he's just so connected in the industry. And so he constantly has like his friends, Tara Strong's been on there, Kevin Michael Richardson, Phil Lamar. I freaking love Phil Lamar, dude. (laughs) Amazing. Um, (laughs) Maurice Lamar is one of his best friends. Just, I mean, just um, bringing them all in. Yeah, Joe DiMaggio. Who, golly, that dude, that dude, man, he's he's one of the funniest voice actors out there. But are there any documentaries with voice actors? Yeah. So actually, Joe DiMaggio, mm-hmm. he actually uses his own money. He made a documentary called "I Know That Voice," where it's just it's just boom, it's just all like just just voice actors, and mm-hmm. you see their their range of talent. Uh, they talk about some direction. I think Andrea actually has a has a a, a, a little part in I that as that well. Voice. I know that voice. It's, it's on one of the streaming services. I, I saw it the other day pop up, but it's been out for a couple of years. I saw okay. it on Netflix originally. But check it out, man. I'm like, yeah, it's worthwhile. All these different worlds are just like I'm like I'm just absorbing. Just like tell me more. Yes, sir. That's why I like to buy again. Just like we we listen to these commentaries for this, I like to buy the Blu-rays of different animated features, especially mm-hmm. if it gives me the behind the scenes yeah. of the performances. Again, for me, Hulk Hulk versus Wolverine. That was the that's that was the one that made me think, like, man, I want to get I want to get involved doing some voiceover because it showed the behind the scenes of Steve Bloom and Nolan North and giving direction, give, receiving direction from Craig Kyle and uh, and Christopher Yost and, and kind of just helping them get. The performance that they needed, and they were they were just so passionate. That's a group. That's a really good behind the scenes. Uh, Which one was that coverage? Uh, it's Hulk versus Wolverine. Hulk the Hulk versus Wolverine. Hulk versus Thor kind of combination. Mm-hmm. Blu-ray set. Yeah, that that was the one okay. that was like, yo, might get look into this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But how do we get there? How do we... <laughs> animation, voice acting? You went Fat Man on Batman from something triggered me. Bringing up the oh, because we were talking about Harry, uh, Howie, Mandel. Howie Mandel, got it, voicing Gizmo, full circle, tangent. But at any rate, uh, yeah, that's that's all I got for this time. Okay, next week um, we are going to go over the film "I Spit on Your Grave," the new version, the remake, the remake. If you want to know why, we're um, actually doing some research on one of our own film projects and. And when we do this, we tend to go into a drawing. So you can use this as a tip for films that you're producing. Start looking at screenplays of films and genres that you're interested in. And then start looking at the films to see like some of the commonalities, see some of the trends. And then also, what can you add to this genre that's slightly different? Exactly. Could not agree more. So if you are interested in getting in contact with us, at Filmmaker Commentary, you can, number one, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Filmmaker Commentary. You can find Reginald on Twitter at Reggie Titus or on Instagram at Reginald Titus Jr. You can also find me both on Twitter and Instagram simply at KCGSmith32. All right. Thank y'all for tuning in. We'll check you out. Check us out next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.